This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. Listen, Easter Sunday is a big deal for Christ followers, right? The resurrection, that's a big deal in the story of Jesus. That's a big deal in the story of Christianity and and, and the whole deal. Because what it does, the resurrection, it legitimizes Jesus as the Messiah, right? It solidifies him as the Savior. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but tons of dudes came before him claiming to be the Messiah. A bunch of dudes, and they would, they would even, even get some ground under them, man. They would gather some group of people that were their followers, and they would go around and, and attempt to do ministry and all these things. Um, but, but none of them were able to conquer sin and death. None of them were able to do what they said they were going to do. And so Jesus shows up, and he does it, and that's a huge deal. And so Easter is like a celebration, uh, Good Friday, we had a service on Friday, and that was like we had all like red lights on stage. I walked out feeling like, won't, 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 right? Because it's this reflection and, and this time of pause where we say, man, Christ sacrificed himself for us. That's huge. And we reflect on the crucifixion. We take communion together to remember the sacrifice that he made for us. But then Sunday morning, man, the Easter is more of a celebration of the risen Savior. It's a celebration of the risen Messiah. It's a celebration of a risen King. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But for me, growing up, I don't know if this was the case for you, but for me growing up, Easter typically meant that I had to wear a really lame shirt that was the exact same shirt as my brother that somehow matched the exact same pattern of the dress that my sister was wearing. Was this you guys growing up a little bit? Okay. That's what Easter meant to me, right? There's this picture burned in my memory. I I wish I had it to throw it up here, but it was before like the digital age, right? Because I'm ancient. And I was wearing this shirt that had like sailboats. It was like a Navy shirt. Bob's shaking his head. (laughs) I had this like Navy shirt that had like sailboats all over it. Guys, we live in Michigan. I have a sailboat shirt. No idea why. I'm wearing a sailboat shirt and my brother has the same hideous shirt. And then my sister has the same hideous dress, but it doesn't stop there. She had like a little sailor hat on too. And it's like, ah, but it's like, I just threw up in my mouth a little bit, right? And so that was Easter for me. And so we would wake up. And we were a pagan family because we did Easter baskets and the Easter bunny and all that. And so we woke up and we got these Easter baskets, right? And it's full of candy and I'm super excited. I get up early and I'm like, yeah, let's do this. And so I I get to my Easter basket. My my siblings get to our Easter basket. And then my mom's like, stop. I'm like, what? She's like, no candy before church. And we're like, what? That's like torture. Not only are you like publicly humiliating us and you're not letting us have candy, right? And so we would go to church in our horrible outfits and sit through church and just like counting down the minutes, watching the second hand on the clock, waiting for church to get over so we could devour our candy, right? That's what Easter was to me as a kid. (laughs) And you're like, and you're a pastor. Um, You know, that's kind of the way it went. And then I got older, and if you're thinking I got more uh, holy, you're wrong. I got older, and I grew up most of the time playing drums. Like most of my life, I played drums in church. And so when I got older, Easter meant... I get to play for like twice as many people. This is awesome, right? I'm like, yes. For some reason, more people come to church on Easter. And so I was able to like drum and, and play for a whole bunch of I'm I'm, I'm going to start talking about Jesus here in a minute. Um, but I think many of us probably had similar experiences growing up, right? 
Uh, many of us had these similar experiences. Some of you, you know, maybe never understood what the big deal was about Easter. You maybe never put it together of why it was such a big deal in the church, why it's such a big deal in, like, the Christian world. If you follow, if you're, like, like any churches or anything on Facebook, you see that, like, churches are having circuses on Christmas, and they're installing new lighting systems, and it's, like, this huge, big, like, holy crap, what's so special about this Sunday? They meet 52 Sundays a year, but this Sunday... Churches make it such a huge deal. And some of you, you know, you maybe you never understood what the big deal was. Maybe some of you this morning are here for the first time. You're like, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to put church as part of my Easter deal. And maybe some of you are here for the first time in a long time. But what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about the resurrection of Christ. I want to talk about why this is such a big deal. And I want to spend a few minutes just in God's word. Not too many minutes because I know some of you are still in the phase where you're waiting to get home to your candy. And I get that, okay? We're going to be respectful of your needs. But we're going to look at the story of Jesus and the resurrection, how that changed everything. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump right into it. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you um, for the time that we get to spend just hanging out with each other. Thank you for the time that we get to spend in response to who you are and singing songs of praise and worship to you. God, I pray this morning that as we open your word, I pray that it would allow it to, you would allow it to speak truth to us. I pray that you would illuminate your scriptures to us in a brand new way so that when we leave this morning, we're encouraged. When we leave this morning, we're challenged and we're changed because we've engaged you in your word. God, be with us this morning. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. So, I'm going to start talking a little bit about the story of Jesus, and then I'm going to go into this very specific passage of the resurrection story and take some kind of nuances from it that are super, super cool and interesting. So the Jesus story as a whole started uh, in the Christmas season, right? And for some of you, that was the last time you went to church. That's cool. No judgment, whatever. But you're getting the beginning of the story, and then you show up on Easter, and then you get the end of the story. So you kind of got that. You just need to fill in the middle section there. But Jesus comes to earth, right? That's the Christmas story. You know, she's pregnant, Mary's pregnant, she has a baby, Emmanuel, God with us. It's like this huge deal. God came to earth. It's God in a bod, right? That's what we say. Jesus on earth. That's what it is. And so it's kind of the beginning of this whole story. And then sweet baby Jesus grows up, right? And he grows up and he gathers some disciples, this ragtag group of guys, and they start traveling and doing ministry. And so Jesus lives this like public ministry where he's teaching and he's healing and he's doing these crazy miracles and he's getting all these followers and giving all these sermons and all these people are radically impacted by Jesus and he comes and he sort of redefines what it means to be in a relationship with God. He redefines what it looks like, what God desires from us and how we are to respond to that. And so Jesus comes and he changes all this stuff. What he does is he flips the religious establishment upside down. He shows up and he flips the whole religious establishment upside down. He starts using words that they've used, but with a whole new meaning. He flips the whole political system upside down. He starts using these political words to mean something completely different and talks about the kingdom of God and, how, and, and uh, claims the authority of the Messiah, claims the authority of the Savior of the world, the Son of God. And so he starts claiming these things and it flips everything upside down. All like the churchy, churchy people are like super pissed at Jesus, right? All the religious people are like super pissed at Jesus. It's this big deal where everybody is super angry with Jesus, right? And so then they, they do this thing where they find one of his disciples and they talk him into sort of tricking him and betraying Jesus and turning on him and turning him in. And so that's where sort of the Good Friday story comes in that we celebrated and reflected on on Friday night. And so the Good Friday thing is where, um, you know, the establishment gets so upset and so angry with Jesus that they plot to shut Jesus down. 
They're like, we got to shut this down. We got to put the nicks on this. It's causing too many issues in the religious world, causing too, many, causing too many issues in the political world. He's saying he's all these things, and he can't really be all these things, so let's shut it down. Let's get it over with. And so, like I said, they get one of his uh, disciples to sort of betray him, tell him where he's going to be. They go, they get him, they do this like mock trial with these false witnesses, and they throw this whole thing together, and they sentence him to death, right? In the dark of night, you know, totally like back backwoods kind of stuff, backhanded, whatever. And so they shut it down, and they, they think that they've won, and so they sentence Jesus to death, which Jesus had been teaching and preaching and foretelling his whole ministry, but he was doing it in parables and doing it in stories and doing it in ways that when it happened, his disciples were still somehow shocked by it. We read now, and we're like, really? You guys didn't see this coming? Like, he talks about it all the time. But they were like, what? What's happening right now? What's going on? And so all this stuff goes down, they beat Jesus, they torture him, uh, they mock him, and then they crucify him on a cross, which crucifixion on a cross was like the most shameful, disrespectful, humiliating way for someone to die, right? They beat you, they maul you, they torture you, whatever, and then they hang you up there to basically your lungs to fill with blood and you could suffocate in front of everybody. And people are standing there joking and laughing and mocking you and pointing, and it's super disgraceful, super just, just shameful and humiliating, and so they crucify Jesus, and so at this point, the religious establishment, the political establishment, everybody's like, sweet, we won. We shut this dude down. We're golden. We're good. Let's move forward. But then comes the Easter story. And the Easter story is what we talk about this morning. On the third day after the crucifixion, Jesus rises from the dead. And when he does this, he overcomes death. He overcomes sin. He fulfills the claims that he had been making his entire public ministry. He was saying, guys, this is going to happen. This is going to go down. And Jesus teaches a few more times after he raises from the dead. He teaches a few more times to certain groups of people, and then he ascends into heaven. And so that's sort of the big picture story of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, kind of what went down. See, the problem was that humanity was separated from God. The reason that this, this whole thing had to happen is because humanity was separated from God. They were separated from God through sin. And now sin is anything that separates you from God. And so sin looks different to a lot of people. It takes a lot of different shapes, a lot of different forms to a lot of people. But sin is anything that separates us from God. And so there was this chasm between a broken humanity and a holy, sinless God. And that gap could not be closed. That chasm could not be, you know, reconciled. And so God sends Jesus to sort of bridge that gap. Jesus comes, and, you know, we sing songs about Jesus paid it all. Um, you know, he was, he was the sacrifice. He took my place, all these stuff. We sing these songs. It's because we couldn't get to God without him. He comes, and he sacrifices for us so that we can be in relationship with God. And so that's the whole point of this whole thing. We can now be in relationship with God because of Jesus. And so there's a portion of the story, though, that I want to look at this morning that kind of gives us some takeaways, I think in ways that we've responded to the resurrection, the ways that we've responded to Easter, and maybe it can challenge us and encourage us this morning, but I want to look in John chapter 20. And so John chapter 20, just kind of setting the stage uh, for John chapter 20, it's after the crucifixion. So the crucifixion took place on Friday, right? Good Friday. You see, see what we're doing there, you know? So the crucifixion took place on Friday. Now, in that culture, in that time, the Sabbath was a Saturday, and in the Jewish culture for the Sabbath, there were Sabbath laws and all these things. There were a ton of things you could not do on Saturday. From sundown on Friday until sunup on Sunday, you pretty much couldn't do anything. You couldn't work. You couldn't do anything in preparation for the dead. You couldn't, like, cut your hair. You couldn't, like, cook food. You had to, like, prepare everything for the Sabbath. And then the Sabbath, you got to just straight chill. Which I'm like, sign me up, right? 
Anybody else? Sign me up. Sign me up. And so they had these Sabbath laws and all this stuff. And so the crucifixion takes place on Friday. So when they pulled Jesus down from the cross after he had been stabbed in the side and blood and, and white fluid or clear fluid flows out and all this stuff, a symbol that he's dead, they bring him down and they start to prepare him for burial. Now, back in the day, listen, they didn't have like, you know, a mortician to come in and be like, hey, uh, let me call A.H. Peters and they'll get over here and uh, get this body taken care of. Not the way it worked, right? You're standing there, you're watching Jesus hang on the cross, miserable, suffering, tortured, and then he dies. And you're like, I, I would imagine at that point, you're like, it's over, right? I would imagine there's some sort of relief because it's such an intimate experience. It's such a personal experience. It's like right there, right? And so then at that point, the guards allow you to take the body down from the cross. And it's not like, oh, let me call someone else to come do this. No, the family or the close friends would take this body and take it down from the cross. And then normally they would wash the body because it was disgusting at this point. They would wash the body and then they would prepare it with spices and oils and all this stuff. They would wrap it in linens and prepare it for burial, right? And so this is sort of the process that would normally take place. But since this happened on a Friday and they didn't have time to totally get through everything, they take the body down, they get it sort of prepared as much as they can. But remember, at sundown, they got to stop. At sundown, they got to chill because they're breaking the laws of God and, you know, that's a big deal. You don't do that. And so they take him and they put him in this tomb and they cover the tomb up with the idea and the intention, obviously, that they're going to go back Sunday morning when they're allowed to start doing stuff again. They're going to go back Sunday morning and they're going to finish the preparations. They're going to go and they're going to put pounds and pounds of spices and, and, and ointments and oils and all this stuff to kind of do a proper burial ceremony. And so that's where we pick up in John chapter 20. It's after the crucifixion. It's Sunday morning when they're heading there to sort of do the final preparations of the body to do the final preparations for burial and say, okay, man, this was tough. My homeboy Jesus, he died, and like, I guess he wasn't the real deal because they won, obviously, right? And so they're, they're coming to this thing, and so Mary is the first one there, and Mary gets to the tomb. And when she shows up, the tomb's open. That's red flag number one. You know, like when you show up at home and your door's open, you're like, what's going on? You know what I mean? So she shows up at the tomb, and the tomb's open. And so she's like on high alert at this point, right? And so she walks up to the tomb and she pokes her head in and sees that the body's gone. And so at this point, she does what any sane person would do. She runs, like fast. She's like, I am dipping out of this situation now, right? So she bolts it. She takes off running down the road. And obviously, the reason we can deduct that they're all coming here to do this is because Peter and John were on their way to the tomb anyway, to finish all the proper burial stuff. And so Mary is like, she's like, you guys, ah! like freaking out like any of us would do. Don't point your bony finger of judgment at her, okay? You do the exact same thing. So you're bolting down the road and you're like, oh my God, he's gone, he's gone, he's gone, freaking out. And she comes up on Peter and John. And Peter and John are walking. And we talked about Peter and John a few weeks ago in our comparison trap, how these dudes were like constantly in competition with one another, right? And they're constantly like, uh -huh -huh -huh. and the other one's like, uh -huh, uh -huh, you know, and it's this thing, right? It's Peter and John. They're kind of jerks to each other, whatever. And so she comes to Peter and John, and she's like, the body's gone. And so her first inclination is, somebody stole the body. I don't know what they did with the body. I don't know where they put it, but the body's gone. And so Peter and John, remember we talked about this? They were like probably walking together and just like, you know, being holy. They're like walking together. And then Mary comes up and says, ah, freaking out, and comes up and she's like, the body's gone. And so then they probably like looked at each other. This is why I can say this. I'll tell you in a second. They probably looked at each other and were like, and then they like start taking off running, racing 
to the tomb, right, to see who can get there first because, like I said, they're in competition with one another. And so we pick up in John chapter 20, uh, verses 3 through 9. In John chapter 20, starting in verse 3, it says, So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. <laughs> see what I'm saying there? Both were running. You know who wrote this? John. You know who the other disciple is? John. Yeah. He's a jerk, okay? He said, both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, like that's relevant information, who was behind him, arrived. He's like, finally Peter got there, because I'm so much faster, and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as Jesus's, wait, as well as, G, as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up and by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, jerk, also went inside. He saw and believed. And then in verse 9 it says, they still did not understand that the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And so it lays out, first of all, it lays out this competition, right? John's like, Jesus is risen, I beat Peter. Jesus is risen, I beat Peter. Jesus is risen, I beat Peter. Total jerk. And Jesus rectifies that later. But when we look at this, we see something in the English language that we can just glaze right over, and it doesn't really mean anything to us. But when you go back to the original language, see, the, the Bible is written in, in mainly three languages. It's written in Hebrew, it's written in Aramaic, and it's written in Greek. And so when you go back to the Greek language in which this was written, there are three different words that are used for them seeing the linens laying there. And those three different words bring such life and depth and texture to this passage. We look at it and go, okay, big deal. Like in, in verse 5, it says, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen. And then in verse 6, it says, he saw the strips of linen lying there. And then in verse 8, it says, he saw and believed. It's like, okay, we get it. They saw the linens. We get it. Right? But all three of those words mean incredibly different things and have different connotations with them that really make this come alive, and I think it's super cool. So in verse 5, when it says, he bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen, that part that says looked in, that's the Greek word blepo. Say blepo. Look at you guys are scholars already. Blepo. Blepo. And blepo simply means to notice something without thinking about it. He looked in, saw the, the rags, and he was like, oh yeah, rags, it's a tomb, duh, right? Obviously. The best way that I can fit that into our modern context is like when we pull up to an intersection at a red light. We notice a red light, we stop. That's it. Not a lot of thought that goes into it. We don't go into it and say, I wonder what color hue that red is. Does that red mean that I should, okay, I should probably slow down. Now that I know that I should slow down, I'm going to start hitting the gas in exactly this trajectory. And then once I hit the gas in that trajectory, I need to stop by that red line. So I've got to push a little bit further, a little bit harder. Now, is that going to turn green while I'm stopping? Should I really stop or should I really just... Nobody approaches a red light like that, right? You see a red light, you stop. You're, there's no like, big theological discussion or intellectual conversation happening in your head, right? And that's the kind of, of word that's used here to paint a picture of him seeing the strips of linen laying there in the empty tomb. He looks in, he goes, it's an empty tomb. There's some burial cloths. Okay, cool. And that's as, that's as big as, as, as his sort of response to that was. But then in verse 6, it talks about Peter going in, right? Because remember John got there first? because he wrote the book. Yeah. So then Peter shows up. He says, he saw the strips of linen lying there. Now, this is a completely different word for saw. The, the, and I love it because it's spelled the Oreo, T-H-E-O-R-E-O, -E -E and I love Oreos. And so this may be my favorite Greek word ever. 
but um, <laughs> it's pronounced theoreo. So say theoreo. So Peter shows up, and he theoreos these. He sees these, but listen, that's the root word for theory, which means that you're studying for clues. You're trying to comprehend what happened. You're looking more intently at what the heck's going on here, trying to come to some sort of solution. The best way that I can kind of put this in our modern context is when I walk into my living room after my kids have been unsupervised. <laughs> I walk in, and I look around, and I go, okay, what happened here? I'm looking for context clues. I'm looking for how is there a full outfit of clothes laying on the floor, but all my kids are still dressed? What, what's going on here? How did this toy, how is that upside down on top of the curtain rod? What's going on? And so I start, you know, I start grabbing and looking and taking context clues, trying to put this thing together. And then in verse 8, it uses this word. It says, he saw and believed. This is back to John. And so John comes back in, and, and, and it's this word, Adon. Say Adon. Adon. And so Adon, this is to perceive with understanding. And so when I was trying to put this into a modern context, the best analogy I could come up with is, you know when, when have you ever been to the gym? Like, like, okay, you ever been to Planet Fitness? That's the real question. Everybody else has too much money. But you've been there, right? And you see these machines. And you look at this machine and you go, there are more pads on that machine than body parts. How does that work? Right? Like, how do I? And so you walk up to it and you do your best. You look at it, you're like, Size it, okay, this is how it works. And so then you're standing there like working out like this, right? And you're like, Ugh, I feel it, this is good. And then you get done and you're like, yeah. And then you see this like 70 pound teenager walk up and they sit down and they're like, <sighs> and you're like, oh, okay. You're laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. You find yourself like using the machine backwards and you're like, this, this, I don't think it's working. Right? And then someone sits down and it just all clicks in your head. You're like, oh, the, ah, that, that made, now I get it. Okay, that makes sense. That's what this Adon word carries with it. And so the way this thing goes down, John shows up to the tomb and he blepo, he sees these things and he's like, oh yeah, cool. Yeah, whatever. Not giving it much thought. And then Peter shows up and he walks in the tomb and he sees this stuff laying here and he like gets down and he's like, okay, what the heck's going on here? And he's looking at the head cloth, and he's looking at the burial linens, and he's checking around, looking for clues. And I feel like he looks back at John, who's still at the entrance of the cave, and looks back, and he's like, dude, do you know what this means? Dude, look, look, and the way, and that, dude, he's risen. Like, this really happened. The thing he was taught, dude. And so he looks back at John, he's like, can you believe this? And then John's back here at the cave, and he's like, Dude, whoa. This is like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure translation. But you know, you know what I'm saying, right? John walks in, he's like, you're right. It's like he saw the linens in a whole new way, and he's like, it just clicked. He's like, oh my, this is, whoa, right? Like, dude, where's my car, right? When they see their tattoos, he's like, what's my say? Dude, he's like, what's my say? Whoa, or sweet, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Probably not, because you don't smoke pot and you go to church. Um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. So this is going down, right? Peter's like, what, what? Or John's like, what? And then Peter's like, whoa. And then, and then uh, John's like, sweet. And they realize this, and instantly they get it. 
And they take off running to their families first. And they go to their house and they're like, you're not going to believe what freaking happened. Oh my gosh. And they start telling them and they start telling disciples and they start telling all these people and they start freaking out. And the story goes on and on from there. But when you're able to read the scriptures and realize the different interactions that these guys had, it really kind of makes the story come to life. It really makes you realize, whoa, okay, maybe that's what's going on. And so I feel like this original language, these nuances to this story is very indicative to our approach to the resurrection. I feel like it's very indicative of the way that maybe we approach Easter or the resurrection. You know, many of us think Easter, okay, cool. The resurrection, okay, cool. We're very blepo about it, right? We're very like, oh, yeah, cool. Easter money, eggs, candy, church, got it. See you at Christmas, right? And we're very like, oh, yeah, whatever. But I think many of us also approach this, this Easter thing, the resurrection thing, with a theoreo kind of approach. You're like... Now, you said he did what? Huh? Now, you expect me to believe this? But what about that? And we're studying, and we're figuring that out, and we're kind of like asking questions, saying, how does this all kind of come together? And then many of us, we approach Easter and the resurrection with this Idon approach where we get it, and we're like, dang, that's awesome, right? That's incredible. That's so amazing. And so here's the deal. If you're in here this morning, and you approach the resurrection with this blepo perspective, if you approach the resurrection with this like, yeah, I take notice, but I don't really give it much thought. You know, it's just like, it is what it is. It's, it's Easter. It's a Hallmark holiday, whatever. If that's your approach to the resurrection, if that's your approach to Jesus, I want to challenge you to do more than just notice. I want to challenge you to accept the life that the resurrection brings. And here's the deal. So often in church, we talk about this eternal life that comes from the resurrection and that Jesus rose from the dead so that we can live for eternity. Okay, yeah, cool. But do you realize that you also get life now? Do you also realize that when you tap in to a relationship with Jesus, it changes everything about your life right now? It changes your perspective on everything, the way you raise your family, the way you interact with culture, the way you handle your money, the way you do anything and everything. When you engage with Jesus and have a relationship, it brings new life now. And so I want to challenge you that if you're very blepo about this whole thing, like, oh, yeah, whatever, Jesus, cool. Whatever. No, I want to challenge you to accept the life that's offered because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Accept the relationship that he's standing there and he's like, dude, I want to be friends with you. I want to be, I want us to, let's do this. And he's there like, come on, let's do it. It just requires us to say, yeah, man, I accept that. You've seen Sons of Anarchy. No, you haven't because you're Christians. But in Sons of Anarchy, he's like, I accept that. It's my favorite line. But I want to challenge you to accept the life that Christ is offering you. If it's always been just a yeah, whatever, don't let it be a yeah, whatever. I want to challenge you to do more than just notice. I want to invite you into a relationship with Jesus who will change everything about you. If you're in here this morning and you approach it with this theoreo approach where you're studying and you're questioning and you're trying to figure out, listen, I want to challenge you to continue to study and question and try to figure it out. Continue to grow, continue to pursue, but here's the, step, here's, here, here's the catch. Get involved in a faith community. Get involved in a church. It doesn't have to be this church. You may think I'm a jerk and I'm lame and whatever, that's fine. But get involved in any church. If it's not this one, you're lame, but whatever. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But get involved in a church because here's the deal. Here's the deal. Following Jesus wasn't meant to be done alone. Following Jesus wasn't meant to be done alone. Life wasn't meant to be done alone. We're relational beings. 
And we are crafted and designed to follow Jesus together and to figure it out together and to have conversations together and to do life together. And so if you're in that phase of studying and trying to figure it out, don't do it by yourself. Do it with other people. It's so much easier. It's so much more fun. It's the way that God has designed it to be. And so if you're in that theoreo phase, I want to challenge and encourage you, get plugged into a faith community, this one or another one. But then if you approach this whole deal with this Adon approach of, yeah, I get it. I'm in awe. I think it's incredible. Resurrection, man, that's like my favorite thing. I've already been to three church services this morning. You're my third. All right, if, if, that, if that's you, more power to you. You got more crowns in your, more jewels in your crown in heaven than I do. But I want to challenge you this morning. Listen, share it. Do like these disciples did, man. When they saw the, then they got it and it clicked, they went straight home and told their families and then they went straight out and told everybody. They're like, this is the most amazing thing ever. Can you believe this? This is incredible. He rose from it. He actually did what he said he was going to do. As a result, there's all kinds of life change that can take place. And so if you're in that position, I want to challenge and encourage you. Tell people about it. Share it. If it's impacted you, it's going to impact them. If it's rocked your world, it's going to rock their world. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't hold it in. And so I want to challenge you to do that. So no matter where you are on the spectrum in your relationship to the resurrection, no matter where you are on the spectrum in your relationship to, to Christ, there's a next step for you. Like I said, if you're very casual about it, I want to invite you to have a relationship with God because he desperately wants to have a relationship with you. If you're trying to figure it out, figure it out with us. We're still trying to figure it out too. We're on this journey together, myself included. Come do it with me. Let's hang out. You don't want to do it here? Do it somewhere else, but get plugged into a faith community because it's so vitally important, so vitally important. And then if you get it and you're plugged into a faith community and it's the whole deal, Guys, get off your butt. Let people know. Share it with your sphere of influence. Share it with your family. Share it with your coworkers. Share it with the grocery teller. Share it with the bank teller. Share it with people. Oh, but they might think I'm weird. They already think you're weird. You are weird. Okay? Share it with people because this is good news. This is the gossip. He's risen, guys. That's a big deal. That's a super big deal. And so we should tell people about it. We should get pumped about it, and we should share it with other people. And so the band's going to lead us in a song, and it's a hype song that I feel like I should jump on one leg to the whole time. I don't know why, but I do. But during that song, listen, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you've never understood it maybe this way, or maybe you've just never had that conversation, you've always been like, oh, yeah, whatever, blepo, right? If that's been your approach, I want to encourage you, it's very simple. It's a very simple conversation. The journey takes a lifetime, but it's a very easy thing to start. You say, God... I accept that you sent your son for me, man. I'm, I'm into that. I'm about that life. <laughs> Let's do it. That's it. Forgive me. I'm broken. I'm messed up. I want to get on your page. Let's make this thing happen. There's no hocus pocus. There's no magical words or formula you got to say. Yo, I'm with you. I'm with you. I want to give you the opportunity to do that as this band plays. If you're in here and you're saying, man, I need, to get, Paul, I need to get plugged into a faith community, I want you to start thinking about your schedule, what you're going to get rid of so you can make room for a faith community. Find a church that's going to meet your needs, that's going to meet you where you are, that's going to help you move forward. I want to give you the opportunity to think about that. If you're in here and you got all that, you got it all figured out, I want to give you the opportunity to start thinking about individuals, tangible individuals in your life that you need to tell about Jesus, that you need to share Jesus with. Because it's good news. It's going to rock their world just like it rocked your world. 
So we should be doing some introspection. We should be doing some business with God as this song goes on. And once you've done your business with God, then you're invited to jump on one leg with me, okay? Sound good? Let me pray, and then we'll get to it. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for sending your son to this earth for us. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made on our behalf to take a broken, fractured humanity and allow us to be in relationship with a holy, pure, perfect God. It's such an honor and a privilege to even be considered to be in relationship with you. God, this morning, wherever we are in our journey, whether we're having the conversation for the first time or we had the conversation 30, 40 years ago, God, I pray that you'd send your Holy Spirit to meet with us now. That we would encounter you this morning in a real way. That you would illuminate people in our lives we need to share this with. You would illuminate situations in our lives that we need to partner with people. God, I pray that you would do work in our hearts that would manifest in our lives as we leave this place. That this morning is the beginning of a journey. This morning is the beginning of the conversation. It's not the whole conversation. It's the fire starter. And God, I pray this morning we would leave encouraged. I pray we would leave challenged. I pray that we would leave changed because you rose from the dead. You are the Messiah. You are the Savior. You are the King. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.